0: Welcome to All Things Cardio-Oncology. This is the podcast of the International Cardio-Oncology Society. My name is Steve Caselli, and I'm the executive director for ICOS. It's my pleasure to introduce uh, my co-host today, Dr. Arjun Ghosh. Arjun is a consultant cardiologist at Barts Heart Center and at University College London Hospital. He's the clinical lead of the cardio-oncology service there as well. Welcome, Dr. Ghosh.
1: Thanks very much for having me, Steve, really looking forward to this podcast.
0: And today we're going to have a conversation with two experts in interventional cardi- cardiology. Uh, our first guest is uh, Dr. Caesar Iliescu. Uh, he is an interventional cardiologist uh, and the medical director at MD Anderson Cardiac Cath Lab. He's also the president and founder of the Interventional Oncocardiology Society. So welcome, Caesar.
2: Thank you, Steve, and thank you, Arjun, for the opportunity to be here and have a discussion about
0: our common passion, interventional
2: oncocardiology.
0: Great, our second guest is uh, Dr. Costas Barmagiolis. He is associate professor of cardiology at MD Anderson. He is also practicing Interventional cardiology at Northside Hospital in Saint Petersburg, Florida, which is a neighbor of where I'm located in Tampa, Florida. So, uh, welcome, Costas.
3: Thank you for the invitation. Uh, this is a great uh, podcast. Uh, it's a great effort from uh, your team to uh, to help the field uh, progress, especially in the area.
0: Very good. Well, thank you both for joining us. Uh, Arjun is going to have some questions for you in a moment about the role of interventional cardiology and cardio-oncology, but I wanted to first, you could briefly each tell us sort of how you developed your interest in cardio-oncology, what your background is, and how you, how you, um, how you progressed in your development in this field. So uh, Dr. Iliescu, maybe you could start and, and maybe tell us a little bit too about the Interventional Oncocardiology Society.
2: I appreciate a lot, Steve, uh, again. Uh, so my journey started back in Romania at Funden National Hospital, where I completed training in general surgery in a group that was focused on surgical oncology, followed by internal medicine training and the opportunity to rotate at MD Anderson um, at the time, I had the privilege to follow patients with superb clinicians that are oncology uh, royalty like Dr. Kantarjian, Dr. Champlain, Dr. Fossella, Dr. Wolf. So early on, I was exposed to oncology and the oncology challenges. As a cardiology fellow, then I found my MD Anderson rotation as a thrilling opportunity to take care of patients, extremely challenging. And I remember vividly when JB was giving talks promoting treating patients with heart failure cardioprotection and rechallenging challenging patients with life-saving therapies. And I actually uh, did cardiac catheterization procedure with Dan when I remember uh, we were doing the poor French catheter uh, uh, cannulation of the osteo-left main uh, to uh, diagnose uh, CAD in patients exposed to radiation. Uh, as an interventional cardiology fellow, we were receiving, uh, we were the receiving end of patients with acute myocardial infarction and uh, we've early recognized there's no data on how to treat patients with cancer in acute MI, and that these patients, you know, usually, uh, even as of today, uh, they're excluded from the major cardiovascular trials. And uh, like everything in life, all these pieces of the puzzle uh, came together when I recruited uh, at MD Anderson by Dr. Ye uh, for my first job as a medical director of the MD Anderson Cardiac catheterization Laboratory. And I have uh, felt uh, privileged ever since to treat patients. Uh, And I think this is the biggest challenge of their lives, you know, fighting for their cancer and surviving cancer. And uh, uh, it was a a thrilling and exciting journey uh, for both uh, us and the patients.
0: And tell us about the Interventional Oncocardio-Oncology Society. What is that?
2: So um, this is the uh, story uh, of my friendship with Costas. So um, we started our collaboration in uh, uh, early 2015. Um, we have uh, both uh, felt excited about this field and we've recognized the gap uh, of, of knowledge for these patients in this field. And with the support of Dr. Grimes uh, and the Society of Coronary Angiography and Intervention, we started this work together and I'm gonna let Costas talk more about it, but uh, uh, at the time we, we put the seeds of this interventional Cardiology society. Um, we've waited to collect more data and more uh, information and uh, more, uh, uh, have more collaboration and members to be honest, you know, because the, it was just a small limited group of people with interest in this field. And um, I think that uh, at the beginning of uh, last year, uh, the time was right, so we started this initiative with uh, interventionists from all the, uh, from uh, United States, Europe, um, and South America, and uh, well, obviously we trying to expand uh, to, to, to the rest
3: of the world.
0: Terrific, thank you. costos uh, you want to tell us a little bit about your background?
3: Yes, so uh, my journey started a little bit later. Uh, it mainly started. Uh, I currently organize a conference in Greece, an international uh, interventional cardiology conference, and this is how I met Caesar. Uh, Caesar uh, was invited to present his uh, his experience from the MD Anderson Cath Lab, and uh, just to make sure that your audience knows, uh, the Cath Lab at MD Anderson is a very unique place. It's the only cath lab in the world, to the best of my knowledge, that it treats only or mainly patients with active uh, cancer or patients with uh, who are cancer survivors. So when Caesar uh, presented in our conference and he presented his data, that was an amazing experience. It was an eye-opening experience for all the audience, uh, from all the attendees about, how many things can be done with patients with cancer? And again, uh, cardi oncology at that time was in the begin- in the first steps, but interventional cardi oncology was pretty much inexistent. There was no experience in the literature and no experience in any catalog about how to treat the cancer patients in the catalog. So when Dr. Iliescu presented his data, and he presented the experience of hundreds and hundreds of patients with uh, complex uh, progress cancers on chemotherapy and radiation with very low platelets, with very low hemoglobin. I realized that this is an emerging field. And uh, this is how we we create a friendship with uh, Dr. Iliescu. We tried to look at all the data from MD Anderson, and uh, we started conducting uh, clinical research, uh, some perspective, some retrospective, some observational. We started promoting uh, randomized controlled trials in the field, and we realized that it is an, uh, an amazing field. And over the last years, we realized that the data was so impressive that we suggested to, to Sky, to the Society of Cardiac Intervention and Geography, to. Uh, to publish a, a guideline uh, expert consensus statement and at that time sky was very skeptical but uh, after the publication it was very well uh, received by by our colleagues and i think that after this the publication of this of this consensus there has been an accelerated uh, progress in the field we start seeing that other groups Internationally, we're working on the same things that we were working, and we start collaborating, and we start seeing a lot of publications. We recently saw a new Jack uh, Cardi Oncology uh, paper journal being out, and I'm sure there will be much more uh, articles and much more uh, journals because there is a very there is an increasing uh, interest from the society about Oncology. Uh, so uh, my collaboration with uh, Dr. Liesu has been in clinical research and uh, uh, trying to make the best use of our accumulated experience, as well as developing the best practices in cardio-oncology, in interventional cardio-oncology.
0: Well, that's terrific. Um, it's obvious why we wanted to have you, you two on, on the program today to discuss uh, interventional cardio-oncology. So Arjun, you wanna follow up with some questions?
1: Yeah, thanks, Steve. So I think, uh, Cesar and Costas, you've already very nicely touched upon some of the potential issues in interventional cardio-oncology. So uh, both of you were involved in the uh, Sky document, which um, I personally have actually used myself in my institution and it's been used by others I know. So it's a very useful um, way forward in the field of interventional cardio-oncology. So do you think that it's really with um, guidelines and um, uh, statements, uh, position statements from different organizations that we can take interventional cardio-oncology forward? and allied to that with guidelines, you need evidence. So I think you already alluded to the fact that a lot of cancer patients are excluded from interventional trials. So how, how can we kind of manage these two um, issues? Uh, Caesar? maybe if you could start us off.
2: Absolutely, so uh, Arjun, thank you. So um, we recognized really early uh, when we started our practice that we have s- several challenges. The first one I called it timeline challenge. It means that uh, cancer care has to be expedited, on one hand, uh, and on the other hand, is the cardiovascular care requires time and um, you know defined uh, periods of DAP dual antiplatelet therapies. So it made it very very complicated. And uh, philosophically, uh, we had this approach where the patient was coming to the um, cardiology clinic was recognized to have cardiovascular disease, but because of the uh, cancer uh, pressure and constraints, we're pushing the patient towards the cancer care without addressing the cardiovascular uh, component of it. So we've learned uh, it over the last decade to alternate uh, uh, basically cancer care with cardiovascular care, Uh, many times do them the same time, uh, taking advantage of the progress in in stand-stand platforms and eluding medications and uh, course us eluded to it. Um, the second big challenge we had early was thrombocytopenia. We had initial sporadic experience with cases uh, where patients underwent procedures with uh, low platelets. We're able to identify the patients are, what I call them high risk, the patients are actively bleeding, septic patients uh, that we started excluding from our uh, cardiovascular evaluations. And we start focusing on, on patients with what I call chronic thrombocytopenia, where uh, this is their um, um, baseline. Sure. And we're able to perform complex procedures on them and, and have an approach right now where um, a lot of people throughout the world uh, start embracing it. And uh, as you say, you know, I think this document that we, 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 we did uh, in, a, in, a, in a very comprehensive group with a lot of uh, brilliant and experienced cardiologists uh, being part of it uh, I think was, was uh, a reinforcement of, of, of just going towards the patient, try to save these cancer patients, and, and I think it moved the, the field forward. Another issue that I realized was, we do not have a plan B in, this, uh, in our cancer patients, and that is very, very challenging. In a normal cardiovascular practice, when the uh, complexity of the case exceeds the interventional uh, armamentarium, or we have a complication, then obviously we have the surgical backup that uh, as a bailout strategy. Our patients are so frail and uh, because of the uh, additional comorbidities and obviously uh, at the timelines that need to be addressed, it is very, very challenging to have a a plan B. And I think that was the biggest challenge I found uh, in the very beginning that there's no room for any mistakes. So I think that the operators have to be experienced, they have to be meticulous, they have to spend the time doing those complex procedures. And I think that was why uh, our collaboration was, was, was really fruitful because we had the two components of it. You know, we were academic medicine with a, a different tempo and different approach to things. And costas Costas was real life really, you know, in an extremely busy practice with all the complexity that comes, you know, from, from having a very busy practice and doing extremely complex cases. And I think uh, uh, over it, we're gonna we're gonna go through this like uh, uh, through the challenges that they faced when they saw the the first patients, and what the challenges are in a in a in a in a in a, in a, in a really uh, real uh, life uh, cardiovascular practice, and the challenges we saw as well uh, on the on our academic side of developing an intervention program.
1: Sure. And um, Costas, maybe if I could ask you. Um, you You did a loop a little bit earlier about getting patients into the interventional trials, cancer patients being excluded. So yes, what, what do you think the best approach is uh, to chat you know to to maybe change the status quo?
3: So uh, because of the uh, expectation of life of the cancer patients being different than patients without cancer. The best best way to do it is, first of all, realize that not all cancer patients are the same. There are patients with cancer, which is metastatic, patients with active cancer, which is controlled, and patients who are cancer survivors. So in clinical trials, we try to separate those three. And in order to be able to have some meaningful outcomes, we have to compare patients from the same group. Uh, and whenever we have an intervention. So we reach meaningful results. Unfortunately, compared to all the other subgroups of patients, we cannot really get any uh, results from the randomized control trials. All the randomized control trials have excluded the cancer patients. So we have to start with, uh, with new trials and we involve patients with the same comorbidity states, the same survival, same prognosis in cancer. And we have, there's a lot of work to be done in uh, cardio-oncology. That's a a major challenge for us. And this is why most of our uh, research is small number of patients and they most come out of MD Anderson which has a large number of cancer patients so they can get some meaningful outcomes. Or we, we use the meta-analysis. So we get observational registries, observation trials or registries, and uh, mainly the NIH database. And we try to extract data out of that, making sure that uh, we compare the uh, similar groups of patients. So this is, uh, from an academic standpoint, this is the challenge now from from the real life standpoint, as I'm practicing in a uh, non-cancer hospital and in a non-cancer cath lab is to convince uh, interventional cardiologists in the area to use the cath lab for the benefit of cancer patients. And this has been easier and easier every year as people uh, read in the journals, the outcomes of uh, different trials so, they start being less uh, less scared, let's say, from referring to the patient to the cath lab, even with active cancer, uh, with experience from MD Anderson, now we can pretty much uh, do a coronary angiogram to to anybody, as there is no minimum uh, platelet count or minimum hemoglobin. We pretty much can do a diagnostic cath to to anybody. The other challenge from from practicing standpoint is that there is an... Exp- continuous expansion of uh, chemotherapy agents, and uh, there is new data every day about the cardiovascular toxicity from medication. So practicing cardio-oncology uh, in the past required uh, some basic knowledge, but more and more the practicing cardio-oncologists, they have to keep up with a expanding list of chemotherapy agents or, or, or cancer therapy uh, and not only that, about the new data, about the toxicity of those agents. So not all patients with cancer are the same. There are different cancers with, uh, which cause thrombosis, some of them cause bleeding. There are some chemotherapy agents that uh, accelerate the stent healing, some of them that they decelerate the stent healing. So in our field, it's very challenging. You have to keep yourself updated all the time because every cancer patient has, is, is, a different, is a different case. Sure. the, other, the last challenge uh, is collaboration with uh, oncologists. And this is something that we can hear uh, in different countries and different hospitals and in different uh, states. Uh, it is extremely important in, the, in our field to create those multidisciplinary decision meeting teams, a collaboration between general cardi oncologists, Intervention oncologists and uh, oncologists, so that the decision is made collaboratively and it has to be done in a timely manner because cancer patients cannot wait from uh, getting to be seen from different specialists until they the reach a decision. We have to establish in, in, in every institution uh, a decision, uh, a multidisciplinary decision team. Uh, that that they meet, we meet uh, once a week, so we can make the best decision for the patient in a timely manner.
1: Sure. So that actually leads me nicely on to one of my next questions, Costas, and I'll, I'll direct this at you. Um, what would advice would you give to an established interventional uh, cardiologist who's listening to this and thinking? Well, you know, I do see cancer patients and maybe it would be interesting in my local hospital to set up some form of service for these cancer patients in the cath lab. You know, you have done that in, in a hospital outside of MD Anderson. You've done that in your local service. So, so what advice do you have to such a, a cardiologist?
3: That's a great question. Uh, uh, the first thing that needs to be done is to meet with local leaders in uh, cancer care in the area. And I think the, the most important step is to, to create this meeting. You find the time that all the doctors, all the specialists can meet. And uh, it, it can start with a half an hour decision meeting. Usually everybody's very busy in the private practice. So you find time that is very convenient for everybody, bring interesting cases, and start with one or two cases, it's time and try to convince your colleagues that you, you have something important to bring to them. And uh, they have to be weekly meetings with, uh, with oncologists, invite your uh, cardiac surgery colleagues, invite your fellows. And uh, I think after, you, after we started that, it, it, it went in autopilot. Then more and more people would bring cases, referring doctors would bring their cases for discussion, and little by little, we build the program.
1: Okay, and who who did you need to convince the most? Was it your cardiology colleagues or your oncology colleagues?
3: I think the oncology colleagues were the most, uh, let's say, resistant uh, to those meetings. They have their because they have their own meetings, the tumor board, yep. and uh, they have their they have uh, other uh, meetings with uh, GI and uh, other specialists and other car- general surgery meetings so they have a lot of meetings so it was more more difficult uh, to convince our uh, oncology colleagues to uh, accept uh, the invitation and participate but after they did it uh, once or twice it was uh, it it came very naturally so right now it's, uh, it's one of the most successful meetings
1: okay that's great to know so one of the aims of ICOS is to promote uh, training in cardio-oncology and we would very much like to attract more interventional cardiology trainees into considering cardio-oncology as maybe their main career or maybe one of the parts of their job when they become established cardiologists. So what would I, uh, I mean, the main, the, the majority of cardiology trainees are actually not, as you know, from an interventional background. So, how can we attract interventional trainees into cardiology? And maybe uh, Caesar, if I could start with you on this one. Uh, uh,
2: thank you, Arjun. So, um, basically, uh, we're privileged at Anderson. We have two sets of heart failure of, of uh, cardiology fellow rotating with us um, from. Uh, Texas Heart and from um, UT uh, Houston, and the UT Houston uh, program is a program I train. Um, basically, they do rotate between six and twelve months uh, with the MD Anderson team on, on different aspects. On the floor, so they go rounding on the on the on the on the, on the inpatient service. They um, do echo and an echo rotation, and obviously, uh, they get exposed to all the cardiac catheterization procedures that we do. So they cover our cath lab for for half of the year, so six months uh, alternating in our cath lab. So they get exposed to uh, our hemodynamics assessment to get them excited about, you know, looking at all these uh, patients with constriction, restriction, doing complex uh, pericardiocentesis with low platelets, uh, endomyocardial biopsy in our uh, new subgroup of uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors plus the classic one on amyloid. And then of course, you know, our interventions, We use in the CAT lab IFR, FFR, so to delay interventions. And um, by doing that, one less stents, less uh, um, need for uh, dual antiplatelet regimens. Uh, We talked about OCT and get them excited about using OCT uh, to assess exactly what Costa said, stent healing. And you have this abbreviated course of DAPT. So once you get them excited and they see all the tools we have. And, and uh, um, they obviously uh, uh, going back in the community, they start practicing and it feels natural to them, you know, to do procedures on these patients, which are very, very complex. And otherwise they have been just delayed. Uh, uh, now, you know, we get calls from all over the country from our trainees, you know, where they have all these successes on extremely complex patients yep. uh, because they're just open to it, which we, we, we've not been before, which is great. And the second uh, set of fellows, we have the fellows from Texas Heart where they really come specifically for certain procedures we do, like, you know, thrombocytopenia and peycardiocentesis, and where we get them okay. exposed to subsiphoid, apical and all these particularities. And yeah. of course, when we get excited, they go out. And I think it, it just becomes natural to them to, to continue a, a, and do, this, uh, uh, do these procedures. I do believe uh, uh, origin is that it, it's a process of maturation. Of the field, and I think you're going to see what happened to oncocardiology as a field is going to happen to interventional oncocardiology. I okay. think that you know the 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 need was there, the 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 uh, patients were there, but it needed a maturation of the field and of the knowledge to get people excited and get them busy with this. Sure. I think, at an interventional perspective, we had a, a four or five years ago, we recognized that you know the cancer patients, the group was under-treated. And even at the societal level, you know, uh, uh, Sky is promoting uh, uh, interventions and doing procedures in patients that need it. And of course, elderly, and uh, there immediately after death or the cancer patients, they were completely treated. So I think that that's gonna happen as well. I think that, that, that uh, uh, ICOS is doing a superb job in, in promoting the field and uh, uh, expanding the field nonstop. And and, and we're, we're, we're really, uh, uh, excited to see uh, what a tremendous role, uh, uh, you know, uh, ICUS has done in expanding the field and opening it. And I think it's just, you know, it's, it's going to be a natural uh, uh, immersion of the uh, uh, interventional and EP and multimodality imaging specialists, you know, to come in and, and be part of the field and expand the field for, for our patients.
1: Sure, and Costas, maybe if I could ask you, if there's an interventional trainee outside of a center with links to, say, MD Anderson, maybe they've listened to this podcast or for some other reason is you know interested in interventional issues and in cancer patients, you know, where can they get training locally? I mean, is this something that should be incorporated in the interventional training program for all interventional trainees? or can they avail of this locally, or do they need to contact you guys for a fellowship?
3: Well, at this moment, there is not any interventional cardi oncology Fellowship Program, as you, you probably know. But most cardi oncology Fellowship Programs, although they, they focus on consultative service, imaging, congestive heart failure, and management, there are many places that the cardi oncology Fellows participate in procedures especially, like Dr. Iliescu mentioned, uh, high-risk pericardiosynthesis, biopsies, procedures that we, we don't do very often in the non-cancer patients. So I personally think the best place to train uh, for for this this new subspecial, this MD Anderson, and maybe it's one of the few places in the world that they can provide a, an experience. Now, going forward, uh, I think that most interventional cardiology, and I think most of the interventional cardiology places include uh, cancer patients. But I think that little by little, the cardio-oncology specialist should participate in the decision, in the decision meeting, and maybe participate in those procedures. Uh, So little by little, the the field of uh, of cardio-oncology expands to the interventional field and vice versa, interventional cardiologists be more comfortable doing procedures in uh, patients with cancer and more expert and more confident in dealing patients with cancer.
1: Sure, so it sounds like uh, Cesar that uh, you need to set up an interventional fellowship specifically for interventional cardiology trainees.
2: Actually Arjun, you gave me the opportunity to, 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 to congratulate uh, the Jack, Jack Cardio-Oncology team, and the fact that he came up with this how-to series, which I find them extremely, extremely helpful, exactly to, to cover this unmet, uh, unmet need, where we, we have uh, the specialists in the field describing in detail how they do this, how they go through steps. I do believe that we're with, with just, just paying attention to some, some particularities of the patient population uh, any, everywhere in the world, uh, uh, you know, the, the cardiology uh, training can, can uh, embed in their training program uh, certain skills and certain uh, procedures to be able to accomplish uh, uh, this thing. So I do not think it's, it, I think that that would, uh, you know, I think that combination of, as you say, how to series uh, meetings uh, the way you have and podcasts the way you're doing it. Uh, us uh, the training program and maybe expanding the curriculum to where we add uh, maybe a, a few weeks or months with specific focus on cancer patients. And then, of course, the national meetings where we go and describe our experience and we get questions from excited young lads uh, about how we do these procedures and how we accomplish uh, uh, this one. I think we'll all together come uh, and we'll, we'll, make, we'll push the field forward.
1: Great, thanks uh, so much for that answer, Cesar. And maybe to finish, I'll ask one last question. If I were to ask you to give a one-line pitch to interventional trainees as to why they should consider developing an interest in interventional cardio-oncology. So if I could ask you first, Costas.
3: So the advice I have for them is that they should realize that the uh, population of cancer patients and survivors is only going to be keep keep it's go- it's only going to keep increasing over the next years so having to deal with cancer patients was easy before but now it's going to be an integral part of uh, the practice in the near future so getting involved in uh, reading studying over the cancer patients and their specific needs of this population. And being able to manage them in the cath lab is extremely important for for their career. And uh, after reading our consensus document and the document we have on the circulation of vascular toxicities, those are the first documents that should start reading and uh, understanding what we're doing because sooner or later that will be a common theme for their training in real life in the next years.
1: Great. And uh, Cesar, if I could ask you the same question, uh, one line pitch to entice interventional trainees into this field. Uh,
2: I, I do believe uh, that um, cardiology is a mature field. Oncocardiology field is a field that has to be defined. And I think that's where it's a great opportunity for young people to get excited and answer this, uh, unanswered questions. Uh, we've learned this history with, with a lot of diseases. I do believe this fusion field between oncology and cardiology, and especially us with the interventional part of it, uh, it is a, a completely it's completely uncharted territory. Uh, and um, again, we were privileged, both me and Costa, to have a a, a really a, a, a lot of success and a lot of a, 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 we're, we're thankful for that for the opportunity. And I think there's so many things to be done. So everyone who's young and excited in this field is gonna have a place to to publish, to to present, and I I do believe probably for the next twenty years. So for you, for you for sure, Arjun, is gonna be a, a a great path ahead because it's again all these young people, the way you are, excited uh, and and knowledgeable, have uh, so many things to say and add to this field. So uh, I think that uh, it's a great opportunity for whoever wants to try it.
1: Great. Thank you, Cesar. I think that's a very nice summary. So a very interesting discussion. Uh, thank you to both of you. I'll hand back to my co-host, Steve.
0: Yeah, thank you both so much for your time, Cesar and Costas. Uh, this is just so fascinating to hear about the pioneering work that you all are doing to really care and provide the best possible care for cancer patients. I wonder if, if uh, folks are interested in learning more about the Interventional Oncocardiology Cardio- Society. Is there a website or how can people find more information?
3: So our website uh, will be up next week. We have already completed uh, building it. Uh, it will be uh, at uh, inox.org. It will be up next week. And I think it's going to be a great place for uh, people interested in the field to see how they can train, how they can collaborate with us. Uh, They will see what is going on in the field of research so they can either participate or see where we are so they can go a step forward. I think it's a great platform for, uh, for people interested in the field.
0: That's terrific inox i n o c s dot org is that right? That's correct. Not to be confused with Icos i c dash o s dot org.
2: <laughs> we, we, we will talk. We will talk to then. We're gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna uh, try to get absorbed by Icos. Uh, that uh, would be terrific. We we're, <laughs> we just we just have we just have uh, stainless steel in it. That's why it's Inox. <laughs> Very good. The, the alloys alloys in the stems. Yes. Perfect.
0: Well, we are we are be thrilled to partner with you all in this in this fascinating work that you're doing. It really is pioneering, and we are so glad that you took the time to be with us today. So, thank you for this for your time and for the the amazing work that you're doing.
3: Thank you both. Well, thank you. Thank you for uh, letting us discuss our uh, our passion for the field. And uh, you can share our uh, contact information if you have any of the audience who would like to reach us either through the, via the society or with our emails. We are open to any any comments or suggestions or questions.
0: That's terrific. I'll put that information in the show notes so people can find it there. And I want to just... Uh, close by reminding our listeners that we have a certification exam in cardio-oncology and that exam will be offered again on May 22nd. You can find information about that and all our other activities at our website ic-os.org and we trust this has been a helpful and inspiring time for you so thank you for joining us today.